The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In these times of rapid change, chaos, and crisis... A new wave of legendary leaders is rising up to answer their higher calling. Many are not famous nor have followers, though some do. They are brave individuals like you, seeking your highest truth and committed to deep personal change. Welcome to Legendary Leaders, Answering the Higher Calling with your host Maria Danley. Here is the innovative support you've been looking for to become the legendary leader you are destined to be. Now, here's Maria Danley. Hello, and welcome to Legendary Leaders, Answering the Higher Calling. I'm your host, Maria Danley, and thank you for being here and listening to our show today. We'll be focusing on heart-centered leadership with our guest, Susan Steinbrecher of Steinbrecher & Associates, who is a leadership advisor and consultant and has written a book called Heart-Centered Leadership. She and her associates are part of an exciting new wave of conscious consultants who are transforming leadership in businesses and affecting financial success for many cutting-edge visionary companies. She's going to inspire all of us today with her seven principles of heart-centered leadership that she uses to help leaders and companies transform the way that they're relating to others at work, helping them to become outstanding leaders, and also creating a, a climate that's a lot more friendly in businesses. So that's exciting. We won't have a story today from the Merlin Arthur legend. That will be coming up next week when we share the story of how Merlin grew up learning magic in the fairy realm and how when his training was over, he left the fairy realm and went on to become the chief advisor to King Vortigern, outsmarting Vortigern's other advisors. And that story is going to come up next week. Our brain tip today is how to let go of anger and resentment even when you don't want to. It's a quick energy technique that can help you let go of negativity and get back on track with your higher purpose. This tip can be used to transform anything where you are feeling stuck with resentments or with anger, stuck anywhere actually about the past, but it is also useful when you're feeling stuck in fear about the future, maybe opportunities that are coming up. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that to to give you an example of what I'm talking about. I came up with this technique several years ago when I was stuck wanting to blame someone and I just couldn't get over it. (laughs) I kept feeling stuck. I tried to forgive it. I tried to get past it and I couldn't do it. I went into meditation and I, I decided to ask my higher self for help. 
And I, I work with my higher self a lot. I, for each of you, all of you, your higher selves are always willing to help you. So in this brain technique, again, I call it how to let go of anger and resentment, even when you don't want to. It's what actually probably the better name for it is a ratio technique. And, and here's how it works. Let's say you can think of an issue. Maybe all of you can do that right now. An area where you're feeling stuck. Now, being stuck can be stuck in many places. You can be stuck in being angry at a spouse, at a boss. You can be um, stuck in resentment of somebody getting something that you didn't get. Or it can be any place where you're feeling, I'm just not moving forward. You could be stuck in procrastination. You could be stuck in, well, I think that we can make up a long list, but you get the idea. So you close your eyes, and the way I like to do it is I, 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 met, I call my higher self in. And even if you don't believe in a higher self, it, you can think of it, you're calling in your higher conscious mind, but you do need their help. So it works this way. You will um, think of the situation, and as you're, you're thinking of the situation, you, you think of it as a ratio. So, for example, when I was upset with this person that just really was under my skin and, and I was blaming them, <laughs> um, you, you think about that blame and or that whatever that stuck place is. And I'll, I'll give you an example. It will look like this. I would say to my higher self, I know her name. I call her Gwenny. And I'd say, Gwenny, I really, really want to blame this person or I'm really, really procrastinating or I'm resenting or I'm stuck, whatever it might be. And I'd say, I really want to blame this person and I can't get off of it. And I'd say, 90% of me really wants to blame this person, but there is about 10% of me that is willing to get off it and doesn't want to blame them, okay? So then I'd ask my higher self, will you please lift this 90%? Will you please just take it? I'm willing to let you have it for now. I know I can always get it back. But please take that and, and just have it. Have that 90%. And they work really quickly. It can be instant, really. And um, then I'll check in and I'll think again, how much am I really blaming this person about this situation? And I'll go, wow, it shifted. Okay, 60% of me now really wants to blame this person. And 40% does not. And I, I guess I ask my higher self again, will you please lift that and transform that 60% that's still stuck here? And you keep moving on down that way until it gets down to 30, 20, 10%. And you can work over time. Maybe you'll want to stay blaming 30% for several days. But eventually you can come back, keep asking them to lift and transform the part of you that really is stuck and they will. And that ratio will start moving and you'll start to feel, boy, that stuck place is lifting. We also can get stuck in places when we look to the future. That was the past. But it just I worked with it yesterday. I was um, An opportunity came up to work with somebody, and it was so exciting, I didn't know if I could handle it. <laughs> and I thought, all right, <clears throat> about 70% of me thinks that I could fail working with this person. I'm so excited about this opportunity. But 30% thinks I can really succeed at this. And I did the same thing. I asked my higher self. Will you take that 70% of me that's afraid of the future and of this opportunity and transform it for me, please? And sure enough, it started moving down and down. And um, this morning before the opportunity now has solidified, I moved it down to 30% of me is still afraid that I'm not going to succeed in this venture. 70% is on board and, and um, our call was fantastic. So this technique can be under 60 seconds. It does move very quickly for you. And um, I hope that you all enjoy it and working with it. So just a reminder, 
We're going to have our interview coming up with Susan, which will take most of the call today. We won't be taking other callers calling in. But just as a reminder that many of you know that I have the ability to communicate with and channel what your higher self is saying. And I offer this service because I know that many of you are too shy to share your personal process live on the air. So I offer these free channeling sessions each Tuesday after the show to help you find answers to your personal challenges in a more private setting where you will feel more safe. So you can join us on that call 10 minutes after the show ends at 2.10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And what you'll need to do is go to legendaryleaders.com and uh, sign up. Hold your spot there on that free one-hour channeling call. And again, that will be starting 10 minutes after the end of this show. And for those of you who are listening to this recording, and uh, it isn't live for you, you can always just go to legendaryleaders.com and sign up for that free channeling session, which is every Tuesday at uh, 10 minutes past the hour. You can come to the call with questions about love or finances, health, your higher purpose, or just about anything. And, you know, if you have, say, for example, annoying neighbors, you might want answers to that. You come, come to the call and we'll see what your higher self has to say. It's usually a, usually a reflection of something that is stuck or going on with you, and that's just a reflection of it. So please come join us. It's a lot of fun. We look forward to being with you at that time. And for those of you that don't know about my channeling, because here I am talking about leaders and Merlin and all kinds of other things, I don't really talk much about my channeling. But I found out that I had this gift one time when uh, it was back in the 80s when a friend came for tea and she just was, we were sitting talking about our, our processes, our lives. And I told her, I, uh, or I should say this, she said, you, you keep getting so much information from all of your spirit guides. Could you ask your spirit guides to talk to my spirit guides? I've got questions about my husband and my son. So I went into meditation and I asked my spirit guides to talk to her spirit guides and give me some information. And sure enough, they just started rattling off all this information about her husband, her son, and said, oh, your son is annoyed with you because you're doing this and this is what's irritating him and that kind of thing. I came out of meditation and she was kind of jaw dropped and said, how did you do that? And I said that I, I just asked, did I just did what you asked me to do? I talked to my guides, they talked to yours, and I received that information. So I didn't know it at the time, but that was a, a gift, and I still do that. It's called relay channeling. And uh, so, anyway, I hope that you'll come and join us for that. So let's get on with our interview. Our guest today is Susan Steinbrecher, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking to her today and to be sharing this time with her and with all of you. She has done a monumental piece of work opening up heart-centered leadership in business and doing a fabulous job at it. Her background is this. Susan Steinbrecher is a business consultant and co-author of the new book, Heart-Centered Leadership, Lead Well, Live Well. She is the CEO of Steinbrecher & Associates, Inc., and serves in an executive coach, licensed mediator, professional speaker, and leadership advisor. Susan is also the author of the Amazon bestseller, Ken Show, A Modern Awakening. She's an Inc.com columnist, a regular contributor to Entrepreneur.com and the Huffington Post, and has also been a featured expert on MSNBC's Your Business Susan's work has appeared in Fortune Small Business Magazine, Women's Day, Dallas Business Journal, 
cbsmoneywatch.com, cnbc.com, and cnnmoney.com. Quite an impressive lineup here. Please welcome my guest today, Susan Steinbrecher. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to have you here. Tell me about you, Susan. How did you get involved in this? How did you get involved in heart-centered leadership and promoting it? Well, I would say the, the inspiration I had to write this book was as an executive coach working with um, some incredibly talented leaders and some not as much, I would say, um, I really started noticing a pattern and a trend that was emerging. And so those that were the best of the best, what they were doing, and those that were starting to what we think of as uh, derailing from their career, starting to hit that wall where things were not working as well as it had in the past. And I started to look at the commonality of why those folks that were starting to fail, why they were failing. And what really popped up for me is it really boiled down to the fact that those that were not uh, really achieving the success that they wanted to, to get, I guess you could say, or achieve, is that they were not fully engaged with their people. They were not looking at their associates as whole human beings with a life outside of work. They might be viewing that associate as a worker that needed to get things done, but they were not really embracing that person as a whole person who, you know, has that life outside of work and has certain motivations and, and everything else. And so the ones that were the most successful got that. Those that were the least successful didn't have that. And, and this is why I sat down one day just in frustration and said, you know, it doesn't have to be that difficult. It's these things. And I kind of wrote things down on a piece of paper. And originally I had eight or nine, and it came down to, no, it's really seven. And those became the seven principles of my book, Heart-Centered Leadership. Hmm. Well, tell us, what does it mean to be a heart-centered leader? You know, that's a great question because people will ask that. And I, I guess the best way I like to answer that is to say, what I, what I, how I would define management versus leadership versus heart-centered leadership because I think, you know, there, there's some differences there. And when I think about a manager, I think of, you know, a manager is good at the process of, you know, working through others to achieve organizational objectives uh, in a sometimes very complex changing environment. And, you know, they're always, the managers always focus on effective and efficient you know, sources or resources and how do we, you know, maximize the resources we have and that kind of thing. And, of course, very important role, needs to be done, you know, granted. When I think about leaders, I think about, you know, these are people that have the ability to make things happen. You know, they're encouraging and inspiring folks, and they're the catalyst for change. And, again, very important role, very important to have. But what I was looking for is what else and what if. And that took me to what's the level above that. And that's what I call heart-centered leader. And when I define heart-centered leader, it's, it's the leader that has the wisdom and the courage and, frankly, the compassion to lead others with true authenticity, transparency, humility, and service. And mm-hmm. that they're, they're crystal clear about the fact that those associates that work for that leader, um, they're servicing those individuals as much as those individuals are servicing the leader. They're really all in this together kind of a concept. And that's how I'd really define those three. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's absolutely needed. And when I look at the world with so much depression, let's say, or a lack of hope in some ways, I think there's a, a feeling out in the world that either business leaders or government leaders, most of the leaders, there's some sense of self-interest and that our leaders today are just not really looking out for the people. 
this seems to be turning this around, this whole idea around with what you're talking about. Yeah, what I'm really trying to, to help other people come to understand is that you, you, can, you can have all the business success you want. You can have the profitability you're looking for. But how you get there is the key. Because we've all experienced leaders that we have worked for that were those dreaded people that, you know, when you had to get, get out of bed and <laughs> go to work, you're like, oh, I really don't want to be doing this because you know you've got to work for that person or face that person. Now, yeah. just think about that a moment. You know, if somebody is feeling that way, how, how are they possibly going to give you their best work? How are they possibly going to be motivated to a level to perform their best for you? They're, they're not. It's just human nature versus a person who loves working with their boss because they know that boss uh, treats them with respect and integrity and intelligence and a whole human being again and knows that they have a life outside of work, that they have family pressures and everything else, and they understand that and help them kind of work through that sometimes. So that type of associate is going to come to work in a very different way. They're going to want to perform their very best for that person. And as a leader, I don't know what more you can ask for, you know, providing you obviously have the right talent, but I'm just saying in terms of motivation to perform at one's best, obviously the person who, who has that, you're going to win as a leader, and the business is going to win. It's so interesting you're, you're talking about this, and, and in reading your book, I was fascinated to see, and you pointed out so well, that people really are not quitting a company. They are leaving a boss. They're usually leaving a relationship with one person when they leave a company. What a loss. So I'm really curious how you actually do this. How do you train these executives and managers to be the type of people that that, uh, employees don't want to leave? Well, we first, you know, the first thing I do in in many of the conversations, like if I'm as an executive coach and I'm working with folks, and especially if I have a leader that we obviously have problems in the people side of things, (laughs) one of the first things I love to do is just ask them to pull out a piece of paper and to think about the best boss they ever worked for in their career. And I just said, no, I just want you to think about the person in your mind, and now let's pull out a piece of paper, and I want you to jot down the behaviors that this person demonstrated and the impact those behaviors had on you as a result. So just sort of list it out, and then we'll start talking through that. And I have probably asked people, whether it's in a classroom environment when we teach heart center leadership in workshops or in other workshops we do as well, or in our coaching, probably a thousand times by now. And the list that gets put down in terms of those behaviors and what this leader said or did is always the same. No matter who that person is, how long ago they worked for that individual, it's always the same kind of list. And the list is they believed in me, they cared about me, they empowered me, they trusted me, they listened, they empathized for appropriate, et cetera, supported me, et cetera, et cetera. And the impact was because they did those things, I was motivated to work my best for that person. I actually wanted to emulate that style of leadership myself. Uh, I mean, I've had, it's always the same kind of list. And what never hits the list which is very provocative. So what never hits the list is, oh, they were a great strategic thinker. They knew how to do a budget really well. They were great at P&L analysis. And the truth is you have to have that too. Yet it's not what people think about. What they think about is they cared about me, 
felt, you know, empathize with me, listen to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the people personal connection part is what makes that boss memorable. Now, to take that to another level, when I say to them, how long ago did you work with that person? They, for, because I can, I can look at their physiology and tell that they thought of the person in probably 10 to 15 seconds. And I hear things like 25 years ago, 10 wow. years ago, three years ago, and if we're lucky, current, and not, not often current. But, so then I say, okay, so you tell me, did that person make an impact on you or what? I mean, you're thinking about this person you worked with 25 years ago in 15 seconds. I'd say mission accomplished. Wow. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be that hard. But So I always ask the person to reflect on their own personal experiences. When they were motivated to perform their best, why were they? When they were demotivated, why were they? And then say to them, how is this any different for your team? It's yeah. not. Yeah. That is so inspiring. You are growing people, and not only just people with who with leadership skills, but you are growing leaders that have this kind of impact to change lives. Well, thank you, because that's certainly the mission. I mean, that's what I'm up to, right? And and I want to extend that beyond work, but to, to home, because we're all leaders in our own homes and our communities and our churches and our civic organizations, whatever it is. I mean, it's no different, really. I actually chose the business uh, platform because my personal mission was, gosh, if I can possibly influence someone at that C-suite level because they affect so many people's lives by the decisions they make and their actions, then there will be a ripple effect down, it will be a domino effect down, and everybody will benefit. And I'll get the most accomplished (laughs) with that type of an individual because they impact so many people. So... But it applies to all of us in all levels of leadership. Well, Ed, that is so inspiring, Susan. And I know that we are all inspired by leaders that, that have this level of character and vision and certain qualities. I started this radio show, this idea of legendary leaders answering the higher calling, which you certainly are answering your higher calling, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> I started this show to talk to the many people out there that have this dream, that have a desire, something that they want to do to have impact in the world. How do you think you found your higher calling? You know, it's a great question because I, you know, I'd have to think about that. I don't know. I guess I always felt like what I wanted to do was to make a difference somehow. And why that is, I, don't, I can't tell you, but that's something I've been driven by for a very long time. And it just manifests itself in different ways. And owning my own business now um, and the growth we've had in the 23 years that we have been in business has been just amazing. And I can't tell you, I mean, every day I'm just, I sit there and I go, how is this happening? (laughs) (laughs) I am so grateful and um, just so amazed um, at how fortunate we really are. But I guess what's really transpiring here is, you know, what I'm up to is helping other people be the best that they can be. And with that platform, um, I guess it starts to work for you eventually. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. So you're saying when you can follow your higher calling, not only can it lead you to a a glorious life, but uh, one that is well paid for as well. In other words, you are well supported. (laughs) No question. (laughs) Beautiful. So, Susan, I understand you have seven heart-centered principles in the book that will help these leaders to grow, to become this new paradigm leader. Will you tell us what those seven qualities are? Sure. 
I mean, the first one is, and I felt like it had to be the first one, it's called Know Thyself, and that is really defined by having that willingness to look in the mirror and own how you show up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this takes tremendous courage to do this because it's not easy (laughs) to look in that mirror and put that magnifying glass on yourself just to say, so what actions am I taking that's contributing to the, you know, to the benefit of this organization? What actions am I taking that are taking away from this organization or from my team or whoever that is? So that is really, it's about having a commitment to that personal growth, um, the willingness to look in the mirror and own that and, and to really do the work, as I would call it, to say, okay, here's, here's what I'm doing really well. Here's an area of opportunity for me. What do I do to shore that up? And it's not blaming and projecting uh, problems on others or pointing fingers or anything else. It's actually taking personal responsibility and accountability for that. So that's what that first principle is about. And the second one is don't assume or judge. Instead, come to understand and, and this is the one that trips up all of us <laughs> from time to time because we have a tendency to immediately go to judgment on people and situations instead of stepping back and saying, huh, let me be genuinely inquisitive and ask the questions. You know, how is it possible that Johnny's late three times this week? Instead of doing what we have a natural tendency to do, which is Johnny's late, Johnny knows better than to be late, I'm going to sit down and talk to Johnny about being late. Well, the truth is Johnny knows he's late. <laughs> so I'm not sure yeah. what that's going to accomplish. Um, the goal then to actually solve the problem, and this is the issue, because when we're caught in judgment, we don't solve anything. It's absolutely impossible to solve anything when you're caught in judgment. There's no space for it. But if you shift to coming to understand and you genuinely say, I want to understand what's happening, and you approach this employee, Johnny, in my example with, Gosh, Johnny, what's going on? This isn't like you. Are you okay? Yeah. Imagine the benefit of that. <laughs> Not only finding out what's really going on, but now Johnny understands that you gently care about him, and he's going to be motivated by that to tell you the truth, and then you'll more than likely solve the actual issue. Well, just to interject for a moment to say, I love in your book how you're really talking about that in leadership. Leaders really do need to be adults rather than playing a parental role. And it's so easy Uh, for leaders in companies to feel that they're parents and that they have to blame or who's the scapegoat here and where's the blame? That's Somehow that's going to fix it. So I love what you're saying. Exactly. Or yeah, yeah, who who do we hold accountable for this particular issue instead of, do you think the person actually jumped out of bed in the morning with the intention to disappoint you? No. Exactly. I mean, people have the best intention. Beautiful, <laughs> and, beautiful. Yeah, and that's really what this principle is about, is, is knowing people don't have the intention to disappoint. They often do, and that's a different deal, but they don't have the intention, and that makes it so much easier to deal with and actually maybe even have some compassion towards the situation if you know they don't have the intention, poor intention yeah. in mind. A third one is what we call they need what you need, and that is to really just say, Listen, you know, you may have a different title, a different position, a different office. You might drive drive a different car. I mean, I don't know what it is, but at the end of the day, we're really not that different. And it's about having that authenticity and understanding that we're human being to human being that have those basic core needs to be valued, respected, listened to, cared about, loved, etc., and so that's what that principle is really trying to say is, um, you know, we, we can have position power by your title, 
But what you really want, which will be that best boss that you think of in 15 seconds, that person had position power, but they also had personal power. The reason why you wanted to work your hardest for that individual was because of who that person was and how they showed up. Beautiful. Well, we want to hear about the heart-centered principles, and uh, we're going to take a break here in a moment. So please join us after the break. Welcome back. One of the common themes that I love in this wonderful book that Susan has, Heart-Centered Leadership. I recommend everybody to go get this book. It's so not only inspiring if you want to be a leader and you are working in a company or you are a leader in an organization, but it's, it's really how do you relate and be successful in your life? centered around the heart, centered around relationships. And Susan so beautifully, Susan and Joel talk so much about this, but that really everybody is looking for. People want to be valued. They want to be cared about, listened to, appreciated, respected, involved and connected. People want to have meaning in their lives. At the very least, they want their self-esteem to be maintained and ideally enhanced. And it seems to me, Susan, that this is the premise of the book, that people have these needs, and business is really about people relating to people. And if you're not answering these deeper needs that are just in human connection that we humans all want from our relationships, that you're missing the mark somehow. Yeah, you really are, because I think what happens is, you know, we all pretend that, and I I love it when people say, well, keep your personal problems at home. Um, Well, that sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, leave it home. Okay. It <laughs> yeah, really right. Good. Um, and granted, you need to have perspective and you don't need to bring the drama to work. I understand that. But what I guess what I'm trying to say is if this person has the fight that they had with their you know, husband or wife at home on their mind when they show up, you don't think they're going to be a little distracted? So um, it's just recognizing as human beings, it's too, it's too hard to some, for some, some do this better than others to kind of compartmentalize their emotions. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting that one, you know, come to work and then and, and talk to their boss in a therapy session about their home situation. I'm not suggesting that either. But it's, again, it's, it's for the boss to be astute enough to recognize that what's going on with Mary today? Because Mary seems off, you know? Yeah. And uh, let me 
kind of check in with her because I'm just noticing she doesn't seem herself. She wasn't herself in the meeting or whatever it is and kind of checking in. and Or she said something that surprised you um, and going back to say, what's going on? I noticed this and I noticed that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, so we can't totally separate that. So the more that we just come to terms with knowing that, listen, that, that whole person is going to show up to work, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, the more we embrace that, the more that we understand that, they will respond and get on board much quicker. Well, and as you said earlier, that this person is caring about me, this, this person is appreciating and valuing uh, what's going on with me. They're respecting me. And it's interesting, since I work in energy medicine, Susan, and my, a lot of the work I'm doing as an intuitive is seeing the whole energy field and what's going on. So when somebody says, well, can't you just leave that at home? The answer is no, it's, no. <laughs> it's who I am and where I am until I process it. It comes along with me in this meeting. Yeah. So usually, can't you just leave it at home means more along the line of, well, I'll come to this meeting and sit here and be dull or uh, be annoyed or blaming or in some kind of a mood. Why is this meeting so slow? Why can't anybody even connect here? <laughs> Do you work with people when you see, all right, they, they need to clear some of this stuff if they want to get back present and in their adult here? If you don't address the fact that this person has whatever issues going on, you will get compliance, but you're not going to get commitment. And there's a huge difference in that. I mean, I can comply by facing a rule or attending the meeting or doing whatever, but if I'm not committed to it, I'm not productive, I'm not effective, I'm not efficient, I'm not motivated, I'm not working my best, and I'm actually wasting company money and time. So that that's, I want to say that. Now, I mean, please, do you mind if I comment on that? Because I think that is one of the biggest issues is compliance. We got, okay, they all nodded and they agree. Okay, I'm doing, I'm being a good leader here rather than, let's talk about the weight and the loss and the, let's say, um, the expense of compliance. It's a big issue. Huge issue. Huge issue. And I look at that and say, okay, so if you took the time to have the conversation with a person and say, how are you feeling about this? And they're like, well, I just can't align with that. Okay, tell me more. And that you start finding out what the real reason is or what's at the root of that. And then that gives you some information to say, maybe they're not looking at this in the way you've looked at it, or maybe they don't have the information that you have. And then ultimately, if it is something that you need them to get on board about, you could say, what, what steps do you need to take to get on board with this? This will be important. I'm here to help in, a, in any way that I can. What resources do you need? Who can you talk to? You know, to try to move them along. So that's how, if it's something that absolutely has to be done, that's where I have to go with it. I'm trying to bring that person along with me as we're sort of on the journey. And once in a while, um, have, you know, guess, guess what happens? They, they, the very fact you talked it through, they get on board faster. <laughs> but isn't it also interesting to think that maybe we have a dialogue and, I, boy, I see why they're not coming along with this and I'm yes. really interested in their perspective. Maybe I need to shift too. I mean, a dialogue where yes. I can be impacted by them. They're impacted by me, but we just might shift a little bit of the course here because this person has a great point. And if I hadn't been curious about it, we may never have brought that to the table. That's it. That's right. Back to, to principle two of don't assume, don't judge, come to understand. <laughs> well, yes. And please go on with your principles or wherever you wanted to. I interrupted you. Yeah, I just got no, so I'm... excited about the difference between, okay, I'm compliant, but I'm not, I'm not on board or actively here. <laughs> That's it. And, and, we, and we all pretend we are, but we're not, right? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Another principle is called letting go, and that's, of course, very hard for most of us. 
<laughs> so it's letting go and trusting your associates that they can they will rise to the occasion with proper guidance and boundaries. This doesn't mean dumping issues. It means providing coaching and guidance, but allowing them to do the work, rise to the occasion, provide appropriate boundaries and parameters so that they don't, you know, go down some rabbit hole that you know is not going to be workable. But it's just detaching yourself from the having to be in the weeds with them and mm. trusting the fact that they're going to actually get it done. And it, oh, and guess what? It may not be done exactly the way you would want it done or the way you would have done it, I should say. Um, but if you're, if you're putting those guideposts along the way and you're checking progress, you should not have at, at the end game something that's not workable. Well, I love what you're saying about that, and and really is ego. You know, I know a better way than you, and you should do it the way I do it, and my job as a boss or a leader somehow is to tell you to do it the way I actually want you to do it, rather than trusting that you have your way and it's going to work better, maybe better or as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's having the openness to allow the person to kind of rise to the occasion, which, of course, only develops them more, which only helps you more as a leader, because now they've taken on more responsibility, which allows you to focus on other things. So another one is called know the impact of your words and actions. And this this is the biggest one that I see as a blind spot for the leaders that I've worked with. And that is we, we have to remember as a leader, I like to use the analogy, you're like the goldfish swimming around in that glass fishbowl. And that glass fishbowl is, in fact, glass, which means it's transparent, it's translucent, and often magnifies behavior. You can see right through. So everything you do and you say and you don't do or don't say as a leader is being observed by others, and like it or not, people are making decisions. So as a leader, this is tough because we're human. We're people. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be perfect every day. But you have to be aware, conscious, and mindful of the fact that you are on stage at all times. So what is the impact when you personally call an employee and say, thank you for what you did today? What is your impact when you write a handwritten note saying, great job on the project that you did. We couldn't have done it without you. What is the impact when you don't show up for the company employee picnic? What is the impact when you get up there and to conduct a speech at the State of the Union of the Business and you're completely ill-prepared. You're making an impact every day. That's a given. What kind of impact do you want to make? That's a choice. And that's what this particular principle is really talking about. It's having the integrity and the foresight to understand that you're carrying probably more weight than you even recognize. I love your saying this, Susan. It is such an essential part of being not only a leader, but being just a responsible adult is I have impact and what I do and say and even what I'm feeling in a room and being quiet. I'm having impact in that moment. And I think that's a big shift here from the old paradigm into the new is that we are taking responsibility for our impact. I love that this is one of your principles. It's beautiful. Thank you. And are, peop- are people getting that? <laughs> yeah, I think they are. And in fact, I could give you story after story of situations where, you know, I may have, I may have like one particular leader comes to mind and, you know, she was having to put a big presentation on the company, had acquired three other companies. And she, when it was a small little company, she knew everybody, but with, through all the mergers and acquisitions, she got to a place and here she is, SVP of human resources for this now huge company 
first company conference comes to play, she asked me to coach her on her presentation skills, and we worked hard on that, and she did a great job. And, you know, I asked her to, you know, tell me at the end what did she want her impact to be, and, you know, she described, I want them to realize that they're in great hands, I am the people person, I have lots of integrity, and I, you know, I am the go-to person, and I, I am the one who is the champion for the people, and... I can be well-respected, credible, et cetera. And so she did her presentation. She did a great job. And unfortunately, just six hours later, six, seven hours later, they had the awards banquet that evening. And, you know, she was in charge of giving the awards out, and she had too much to drink. Mm. So she got up there and giving the awards to wrong people. She was dropping her drinks. She slurred her words. It was a problem, so so much oh. so that the CEO had to take over. So she made one impact in the morning. She made a very different one in the evening. Mm. And the problem is, which one was the audience left by? Yeah. The last one. And it's not about judging her. It is about know thyself and know your limitations. But it's being mindful of, at all stages of the game, you are being observed. And, again, not an easy thing. So when we make a mistake, we, can, we should apologize for the mistake and say, hey, I blew it today. I, ju- you know, I jumped on you and I shouldn't have and I'm really sorry. Um, that goes a long way to try to recover. Uh, but that's just an example of one person that you know, lost her way between that morning and that evening with devastating consequences, by the way, for her. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder about this. You know, we have this idea, I shouldn't have to apologize. I shouldn't have to say I'm to blame. I should always look strong. And you realize there's such weakness in that, oh, that whole perspective. Absolutely. There's, there's power in being vulnerable. Yeah. There's, there's more power in being vulnerable. And, and I think this, that's the big disconnect I find for a lot of leaders, too. It's like, no, you actually gain power by standing in front of a group and telling a personal story or how you made a mistake and what you learned from that mistake and how you need them in order to get to the, you know, the goals of the business. You gain more power and respect because people, especially today in the age of what I call the age of transparency, which we're in the middle of right now, you do or say anything, it's on camera in five minutes. You're not getting away with anything anymore, right? So that age of transparency, if you are transparent like that, people want their leaders to be real. And that's the word that's being used, real. So if you're real, you will connect. Your associates will connect with you because they see you as a human being like them who have their flaws like them and realize that you're a strong leader but that you're also real. It's, It's when we try to get up there and we're so buttoned down and so buttoned up and so professional, and of course you need to be professional and you got to monitor where your audiences are and all of that. I get that. But when you're so much, when you're so worried about that, that you lose your authenticity and you lose your realness, as I would call it, then you've lost a lot of the power you could have had. And um, you don't gain the power by the intimidation. You, you gain the power by the engagement. And that, there's your difference. One of the things I learned when I was the leader for the Coaches Training Institute um, for a number of years is we, we would get do coaching demos in front of the room. And 
we as leaders would be coached by them in the room. And we would always go into places that would be difficult for us. We'd talk about real issues. Yeah, I'm having trouble with this. My husband, or I'm having trouble making money or having enough clients. And we'd always hear how amazed the, the groups were that they felt so much respect for us as leaders because we were being real and being mm-hmm. honest and, and showing, yeah, I'm weak here and this is where I need help. It's, it's a way that people can feel respect because you're being emotionally honest. Another principle is what I call associates have a choice. They ultimately will go along with you or not. I mean, this is just recognizing that associates have a choice at, you know, mental and emotional levels as well as behavior. Um, and just recognizing that associates' compliance is not always equate to that emotional engagement. So it's just what we were saying. So that's what this principle is all about is they're going to choose whether they want to follow you or not. So your job is to, how can I get into their listening? What is their sort of listening style? What is their, what are they motivated by? How can I communicate in a way where I can get the best out of that individual so it's a win-win for both of us? And this is about having humility and humbleness to recognize that just because you're the boss doesn't mean they're going to follow you. (laughs) Or they'll follow you by compliance, but not necessarily by commitment, and we've talked about the difference. And the last really is, is, and this was something that um, Dr. Joel Bennett and myself as my co-author and I talked a lot about, where we really wanted to do something unique. And we call this sort of the hidden gold, if you will, of the leadership um, literature out there. It's called Care for the Heart. And it is about that self-care and emotional well-being. And it's, for me, it's working with that leader holistically, mind, body, and spirit, and recognizing that one's whole self must stay healthy in order to really live the principles we just, I just outlined. And, And that includes emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental capacity. So the thing is, is the demands of a leader today are just extraordinary. The time pressures, the what I call loneliness of command, where they are so isolated because who are you going to talk to about having a fear about something? You don't want to tell your employees sometimes. Sometimes you don't want to talk to the board if you're publicly traded. You know, who can you go to? That's that loneliness of command. So the, the energy capacity that is needed for a leader today is, is, again, it's off the chart. So I like to look at it, and this comes from Tony Schwartz's work. Um, He wrote a great book called The Way We're Working Isn't Working. (laughs) He's right. (laughs) And he brought up that leaders need capacity, strong capacity, and the emotional, physical, spirit, emotional. Those are four, four categories where you have to have such energy capacity to perform at your very best. So I like to break that down and talk about how do we gain more energy capacity around those four areas. And by doing that, you, you're going to come to the plate in a much healthier way and a much stronger role model for your people. And they see that you take care of yourself. They see that you're eating properly, that you're getting enough sleep, that you're not sending an email out at 2 a.m. in the morning um, that tells them about your work-life balance and what's important to you and what's not. And that's, again, be mindful and aware you're on stage when you send that email out at 2 o'clock in the morning and the impact of that. So that last principle is really all about that. It's like how do you begin to live that healthy lifestyle around those four quadrants and um, increase your heart health and everything else. So lots of stuff in that one. <laughs> you know, that is that is a big one. I would put that on, I'm not trying to talk about how you should organize this, but boy, isn't yeah. that number one? If you're not handling that, 
then you, you can't really deal with some of the others or do the others because you're not present, you're not in your adult, and you're carrying that stuff around. That's where I've, I've been so interested in, in this rewiring of the brain. I know you are too, Susan, yeah. with your NLP, that we really are, we picked up a whole bunch of stuff in childhood. We've just been born into these families. We pick up all those emotions and stuff of baggage for, from three generations. And until we are really cleaning that up or rewiring our brains to be these effective leaders, these legendary leaders, we're still carrying that stuff around as much as, you know, hey, can't you just leave it at home? Uh, well, no, I can't. <laughs> I will do my best, but I just can't flip the switch overnight. I will tell you, I try to work with people to help them flip that switch quickly, but the truth is, it's hard. It's hard work. Well, I, I, I know it is hard, and it, it is a consistency. I don't know how people do it without some form of meditation. Agreed. Uh, I, I don't know how they do it because I know that because we need so much capacity or there's so much needed from us, from others as leaders, that and I find that if I'm not daily meditating and not just be saying Om or something like that, but going into deep places where I can reintegrate or look at my impact or transform this and say, yeah, I could have handled this differently. Oh, and get these bubbles of wisdom that come up that, that transform me daily. I, I don't know how I would do it and how others do it, how they just get out there, just keep pushing without meditation. I don't know, Hansiba. What's your experience about that? I, I would say the same. I cannot tell you how many clients I have recommended meditation to recently, um, especially recently, or yoga or something where they get in their body and out of their heads. Yeah, uh, you know, and um, and of course, we're in a different state of consciousness instead yeah, of just in the conscious mind. Yeah, absolutely. Like myself, I mean, you know, part of my personal and growth is I'm do transcendental meditation, and I try to do that twenty minutes twice a day, which is what they recommend. And I do I always do that? No, I do that more times than not, and I'm proud that I'm doing that because what I really came to realize is. Wait a minute. If I don't have 20 minutes twice a day, morning and evening, I'm too busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the fact of the matter. And everything I think that, you know, those times when I'm like, going, oh, well, I can only do 10 minutes today, then I, I pause, stop, and say, why? What can't wait 10 minutes? Um, we all think we have to do it today and now, and that's part of the pressure that people are feeling in, in uh, corporate America and business today is we've got to get it and get it done now because everything's become instant through electronics. So we have to actually be in control of that and say, no, I can actually wait 20 minutes and do a full 20-minute meditation this morning. I will be so much more productive if I do that. I love your saying that. In fact, I say, I don't have time not to meditate. I, yeah. Yeah, there's so much is on my plate. I, I have got to compress this and expand time and space. Like, I'm going to go meditate. Oh, we only have just a couple of minutes left, Susan. I'm hoping you're going to come back, but we must get a good promo here for you. And I'm going to cut what I just set out. So I want to ask you, where can people purchase your wonderful book, Heart-Centered Leap? I, I absolutely recommend it to everybody. I have it on all of my MP3 players. It's a beautiful book. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Heart-Centered, we actually have a website that is called heartcenteredleadership.com. And in addition, my Steinbrecher site, which is S-T-E-I-N-B-R-E-C-H-E-R, Steinbrecher.com or HeartCenterLeadership.com, either place, and of course, Amazon as well. How else can people get more support from you? Do, do you have trainings? What else do what, yes, what, what else you do? Yes, thank you. We we do Heart Center Leadership workshops and presentations. We, you know, often I will do an hour or a 90-minute or sometimes a half-day workshop or 
a full-day workshop. We've often customized workshops for certain clients where we integrate things that they're doing within their business as part of it. And for one organization, for example, we did a two-day um, with them. But, but certainly if somebody is interested, if they contact our website and um, show express interest in that, we can certainly help them. Well, I am absolutely inspired by what you're doing, and I I know that you're making a tremendous impact, not only on leadership and business, but you're helping to turn around so much of the depression where we feel that we're at sufferance of, of leaders out there that are just interested in their own self-interest. So, Susan, thank you so much for being such an exquisite legendary leader, and it's been a thrill to talk with you today. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for all the work that you're doing because, you know, that's what it's really about, isn't it? It's like if, if each little thing that we do is sort of the, the pebble thrown in the water and there's a the ripple effect, and I know that's what both of us are up to. So thank you for your time and appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Well, I, I will just say also there's a, such a feeling perhaps of a lack of hope when, when you think, well, who am I? What can I do to change things? But look at Susan standing in her her higher calling and really changing the world as we know it. And uh, as each of us are, we only have to do our part. We don't have to be huge here. <laughs> we just have to do really, our part. Really, and if I could say, <laughs> oh, please it can do be not. as small as smiling, walking down a hall and giving somebody a smile. It doesn't have to be huge. Thank you for saying that. It can be as small as, as smiling to somebody, saying good morning, opening the door. The little things all add up to making an impact on that person's day. So it doesn't have to be the big stuff. It's it's all those little things matter too. I'm excited to feel that this hope. When I started reading Susan's book, I was feeling this real hope. Wow, it really, really is changing. She hit, she and Joel got right to the heart of what's not working in business and what will work in the future as this new paradigm of leaders, these legendary leaders step up. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's about all the time we have today. And um, our next week, our guest is Samantha Harper Macy, an amazing, very interesting woman. She's co-author of the book, The Two Sisters Cafe, an unforgettable tale of a 50s cafe in northern Kentucky. The sleepy little town of Willow Creek is steeped in good fellowship, magic, and strange occurrences. So we'll be hearing from Samantha next week. Thank you for listening today to Legendary Leaders, Answering the Higher Calling. It really is an honor for me to support all of you unsung heroes on your journey to become the legendary leaders you are destined to be. Until next week, I send you all my love and best wishes. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week for Legendary Leaders. Maria Danley invites you to join her for another inspiring show next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Have a wonderful week.